told you last week that if I was not an expository preacher, which means going verse by verse, passage by passage, chapter or book by book, then I would have skipped last week's sermon because it was a genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, and I would have skipped today's sermon because it is just bizarre, weird, and hard to understand in Genesis chapter 6. But... It is the next passage, therefore we can't just skip it, because some people at your work site, they will pick up a Bible and they'll start reading and they'll get to Genesis chapter 6 and they will know that you say, hey, I'm a Christian, and they might come to you and say, okay, you say you're a Christian, then what in the world is happening in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 2? And we'll get there, Lord willing, this morning. Bizarre, weird. Before we look at Genesis chapter 6 and see some hard to understand or bizarre words and thoughts and actions, this week I was, I was thinking about money and some of the weird things about money, some of the things that we spend our money on, and I I did a couple of searches and some thoughts. Uh, Here's some facts about money. Americans will spend 5.4 billion, with a B, dollars this year on pets. 5.4 billion dollars. Walmart makes $3 million in revenue every seven minutes. At one time, woodpecker scalps, porpoise teeth, and giraffe tails have been used as currency. Were you all around then? America spends more money on its military than the next 15 countries combined. A person who drives 10 miles to buy a lottery ticket is three times more likely to die on the way than he or she is to win the jackpot. Think about all the times that you have driven 10 miles and you didn't die. Or better yet, think about the one time you did drive, no, um, and did die, no, um, We drive a lot. We drive 10 miles a lot. In 2007, the amount of money labeled wasted or lost in Iraq was $11 billion. It could pay 220,000 teacher salaries in the United States. The total known landmass of the United States military bases outside the 50 states in America are bigger than Washington, D.C., Massachusetts, and New Jersey combined. It costs 2.41 pennies to make a penny. Do we really need pennies? The U.S. has 5% of the world's population. 5%. But it spends nearly half, 
right at 48% of every um, aspect of an army or of weapons or military in the whole world, it spends half of that amount. We spend a lot of money. Our thoughts are on money. These are just some bizarre or weird facts concerning some issues that might be close at home. Genesis chapter 6 has a bizarre few verses that I want to try to share with you this morning and for us to look at two main points for the message. The first is some of these verses are just hard to understand and the second is this from these verses as we look in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 down through verse 13 we see that God sees everything. God sees everything. Read with me as I read aloud you follow along either with the Bible that you brought with you or the words that will be on the screen, the verses that are on the screen as I read Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 down through verse 13. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. They took as their wives any that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry. He was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly 
Heavenly Father, I bow and I ask that you would speak through your word this morning that we would come to understand the meaning of the text. Father, there are a number of applications that we can take from this, but Father, there is one meaning and it is what you had for the author of this passage to write. Might we understand it more clearly as we leave in just a few moments. Father, might this time be a time that we lift high your name, we lift high your attributes, your characteristics of who you are, and what you have done for us, and what you desire to do through us. Father, you rule and reign in all eternity. Might you rule and reign, not only in this place, but Father, might you rule and reign in the hearts and in the lives of every single one of us that are here in this place. Lord, it has been a busy week. It has been a week where we have here, we have been focused on little kids learning about you and a colossal coaster world and seeing the fun, seeing your, your servant Paul and being challenged of seeing missionaries abroad and also missionaries that are here in America to share the gospel. Father, our focus has been on a job site that has just seemed that we can't ever get ahead. We're, we're trying to just get our, keep our head above water so our boss won't unload on us so that the business itself will stay afloat another day, another week, another month. Father, at the house, because of what's going on in the rest of our lives, the shortness that occurs, the abruptness that occurs in our words toward our mates, toward our kids, toward our parents, toward a neighbor that does not know you, the conversation that we just will not allow to flow from our mouths that's needed. God, we need you. Would you speak? Would you draw me closer, would you draw us closer to your word, to yourself in such a way that we would leave changed? Our desire would not be to make it through another day, to make it through another week, but Father, our desire would be to obey. When it's easy, Father, when it's hard, that we would obey. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The passage that is in front of us today is one of the most bizarre or the hardest to grasp that there is for me. There's a couple of passages in the New Testament, but this is one of, if not the 
hardest to understand who the people are in verse number 2 and verses 4 and 5, 3, 4 and 5, to understand who they are. So I want to share with you a, for a few moments just some of the major views and then how we can apply this word to our lives. People will believe all kinds of crazy things. They will. They will believe all kinds of crazy things. And I would just go on out on a big fat limb and say that you believe some crazy things, but we'll get there in just a second. On more than one occasion, I have stood in a city of over a million people and on each of the corners, there was not a church, a Christian church, but there was a, a temple that people would go into and they would burn incense to an elephant or to a monkey or to um, this animal or that animal or to this little g-god or that little g-god. 300 million gods. Everything's a god. I I want to take another breath, so they'll bow down to the God that would allow lungs to expand. I want to be fruitful, and I want to to have kids, so they would bow down and they would burn incense to this fertility God or goddess. Hindus around the world, millions upon millions, you know, when I was in India, you'd see hundreds of cows walking the road because they think that that's grandmother or they think that that's somebody that's been reincarnated or it is sacred so they will not kill the cow. You can't eat beef if you're a Hindu because that might be your ancestor. Think about Muslims for a second. They hold five pillars of the faith. They have a declaration, pillar number one, that there is one God. It it is one. His name is Allah, and that Muhammad is the last prophet. Second, that they will formally pray five times a day, and they will bow down six in the morning, nine, noon, three, and six at night. They will fast during the daylight hours of a month called Ramadan. A poor tax, 2.5% of one's savings is given to the needy at the end of each and every year. And if possible, physically and financially able, a pilgrimage to Mecca. And as they get to that city of Mecca, they would just go in circles around this stone that is sacred and they would pray. I stood in Damascus one day and I watched dozens stand around a, a, a tomb and they beat their chest and they beat their chest once and they beat their head, beat their chest and beat their head. We, we weren't there the day in Damascus when thousands and thousands, when this person died, it was a brother of Muhammad, when he died and where the whole temple would be filled and everybody around the temple. And they would have swords and they'd beat their chest enough and they'd beat their head enough until it bled because of how that person died. 
paying homage or respect. Weird. Pantheism, it's what's happening throughout our culture and what's happening on the West Coast where these are going to go this week to Seattle. It's a belief that is prevalent that everything is God. Nature, people, buildings, everything's God. The whole universe is identical with divinity. Buddhism, it's a rebirth refers to a process whereby beings go through a succession of lifetimes as one of many possible forms. It's not an existence of one soul, but you, you live, then you die. There is reincarnation, but it's not that you keep on living. You just might come back as a bug or an animal or whatever, but it's not that you as a sequence of an existence. When you die, you die. You say, all right, what about Christianity? Well, think about it for just a second. Christianity holds to the belief that there was this guy by the name of Daniel who went into a lion's den and stayed there for some numerous hours and that those lions who haven't been fed, who were hungry, who Every other time a person went in there, they devoured them. Their mouths were shut. Christianity holds to a teaching that there is this fiery furnace. And every other time that a person was thrown in there, they burned up. But when these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown in there, they weren't. Christianity holds that there was a flood. We'll see it in the coming weeks. It's alluded to right here that God says, Noah, I will destroy all mankind. I will destroy the whole earth. Religious beliefs are sometimes bizarre. Religious beliefs throughout the world are looked at, but more than that, we must know if they are true. God has never lied. Everything that He has said, He has backed it up or is in the process of backing it up at this moment. He is faithful to complete what He has begun. Three or four main views of what verses 2 and 3 let me read them for us again it states this the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose then the Lord said my spirit shall not abide in man forever he is flesh his days shall be 120 years the Nephilim verse 4 were on the earth in those days and now also afterward When the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Three quick views about the sons of God, who they were. One would say that this is just a myth. It is just folklore so to speak and there's no truth in it whatsoever and if that is the case why would God 
If that's the case, if Genesis chapter 6 is folklore and it is just a myth, why would God take Genesis chapter 5 and be so precise, so minute and detailed to say, hey, this guy lived so many years and had this son, and then after that son, he had other sons and daughters, and then he died, and all his days were X amount of years. If this is just folklore, if this is just to fill a page, if this is just words or untrue, why would that be the case? And if that is the case, if this is untrue, then how do we know that another page over here or another story over here is not true? Or that it is true? This is a heady message, so to speak. There are those in our culture, if you turn on the TV and you watch anything on, most anything on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, and it's got to do with the life of Christ, or it has to do with the Bible, there are those that are, have been a part of what is called the Jesus Seminar, a liberal um, group that have come together over the past 35, 40 years, and they have looked at the New Testament, they've looked at the Gospels, and what they have done is they take these beads, and they're all different color beads, and they look at what Jesus is supposed to have said, and they say, all right, if it's supernatural, if it's miraculous, then we're going to put this color bead with it, because there's no way in the world that that could actually happen. And so that's not what Jesus said. But if it's, hey, love your neighbor, yeah, that's something good. We need to do that. Let's put this other color bead over here. That's definitely 100% what Jesus said. And they have torn apart the Gospels to such a note. Jesus really isn't Christ. He really isn't Savior. A second look at who the sons of God are are is that it's from the line of Seth the sons of God are of the line of Seth and they went after the lineage of Cain i.e. the daughters of men and they went after them and they there's a very similar vocabulary used in Genesis chapter 6 as that of Genesis chapter 3 Eve saw she looked and she saw that the fruit of the tree was good it was pleasant and she took and she ate these men saw that the daughters of men, these sons of God, they saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took wives, any of them that they chose. Another view is that these were tyrant kings of the day. The sons of God were men of renown. They were tyrants of their day and they went after whomever they pleased and they took them as their wives and from them became Nephilim. Those are, as the scripture states, there were Nephilim in those days from the sons of God and the daughters of men and also afterwards. After what? After the flood. Numbers chapter 13 verse 33 states just that. It says this, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who came, uh, excuse me, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed 
to them. And that was after the flood. This is before the flood. That is after the flood. They were tyrant kings, possibly. And they went after whomever they chose. A final major view that we'll look at before we move on is this, that of fallen angels. Once Satan sinned in heaven and God cast him out, he took with him a third of the angels. We, we saw that a few weeks ago as we were looking in Genesis chapter 3. We turned over to Isaiah and we looked there that how God cast him out of heaven and how far the star of the day had fallen. We spoke of that. But as he took with him one-third of the angels, this states here that these sons of God were the fallen angels that were cast out of heaven. You say, Brian, that's weird. That's hard to understand. If that's the case, yes. But think for just a moment. What did God, what did Satan try to do with God? Satan, from the time that he left heaven, he has tried his very best to thwart the plans of God. What did he do in the garden? He tried to thwart the plans of God and the desire of God to get his special creation, man and woman, Adam and Eve, to go against what God said and to follow him, to get their will to be his will. And yet he got them to go against God's will, but he did not get their will to be his will. So Possibly, could it be that these sons of God, he says, all right, here's another way. You tell me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that I'm going to put enmity between your seed, Satan's seed, and the woman's seed, and that she, uh, excuse me, you will bruise his heel and he will bruise your head. And Satan says, you know what, I'm going to stop that if I possibly can. So, in this stance, in this understanding of this passage these fallen angels try to interject try to populate the world through these daughters of men they come and oppress a physical person and through that they have offspring this was the earliest view it was the earliest view for a number of reasons. It's the earliest view because if you look in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, when it speaks of the sons of God, it is just that, these fallen angels that were thrown out of heaven that Job speaks of. Nephilim mean two different words. They mean giants and that we saw in Numbers chapter 13, but they also mean the fallen ones. Peter, in the New Testament, quoted from a book called the Book of Enoch. It's not in, it's not in the Bible. It's an extra biblical book. But in that book, if you read its stance on what is happening here, it speaks of the fallen angels as the sons of God. In the Septuagint, it's a book that you will read for your devotion because it's in Greek. Just kidding. Um, but, trying to lighten this, this is some uh, heavy stuff. But the Septuagint is the Old Testament, written in Greek. When it translates here in Genesis chapter 6, it speaks of the sons of God as the fallen angels. The early church fathers believed this as well. Origen, Tertullian, others believed that 
this passage is the fallen angels. Let's take a poll. No, I'm just kidding. But which one? It's the line of Seth. Maybe it's a mixture. Maybe it's a mixture of the fallen angels and the tyrant kings. There's some problems with that. There's some problems with each and every one of those that one would have to work through to look at to say, hey, this is what this means. It's a tough passage. I am not dogmatic in any way, shape, form, or fashion about which way I lean. But the more that I've looked at it, the more I lean a little more, just a little bit, a little more, toward that last one. Is it hard to understand? Yes. Is it hard for me to grasp? Yes. The easy one for me would be, it's the line of Seth and let's just move on. But not everything is easy. So how do we apply it? What does it mean? Not what does it mean, but how how do we put this into practice? Today, for you and me, whether it's the line of Seth or it's the fallen angels, the tyrant kings, whether you look at it and you say, okay, the sons of God is this, and you fill it and you put an exclamation point or a period on it. God gave it to you and he gave it to me for a reason so that you can live it out today. To understand it and to try to apply it, you and I have to look at the context. The context is this. The flood, the judgment is coming, and it's coming fast. The next chapter and the chapter right after that is that of the flood. Satan is trying to thwart everything that God is doing, and he is at it even today. You say, Brian, it wouldn't be right if it were to the fallen angels. Because God's going to bring judgment on mankind for what's happening in heaven. Do you think that it would be right for God to bring judgment on elk? Hippopotamus? Pine trees? Because of every single continual evil thought of the days of Noah... Yet he did. David, when he sinned against Bathsheba, he saw that there was judgment on him and his family. Yes, but there was judgment on all of Israel. Israel was looked at around everybody else. It was looked at as one that was, dis, that was uh, cast away from God. It was looked at as one that was reaping the judgment of God. And he cries to God, oh God, have mercy. It's not on all these people. It's only on me. Bring your judgment on me. And God said, you know what? It's going to be on all Israel. The context is that judgment is coming and you and I need to understand not only was judgment coming in that day, but judgment is coming today in our day. And our lives need to be such that are pleasing to the Father. For His Spirit will not abide with man forever. His days will be 120 years. 
Second and final point is this. God sees everything. If you look in verses 5 through 13, you see that God saw man. And as He saw man, He looked at him, and He saw every continual thought was evil. Every thought. The things that you do in secret, God sees. The things that you think nobody else knows about. That thought that you had that did not get played out, that thought that you had that, oh, I really want to say these words, but you didn't say the words, God saw. God knows. God is eternally in the present. Take just a second and let that sink in. He is eternally in the present. God is the one who created time. He is outside of time. And He sees all at once creation, Noah, flood, the Great Depression, civil war, next week in Seattle, on out into the future. All at the same time. You, you and I, all we can see is, I've used this illustration before, but all we can see at the parade is that float that is right in front of us. We can't see the next corner. We can't see the one before it. We can only see the floats that are right in front of us at the parade. God sees every one of the floats all at the same time. He sees every turn, every shift. One speeds up, one slows down. He sees it. And what that should say to you and what that should say to me is, number one, thank you. Thank you, like David, Psalm 139, he says, where can I go that you're not there? If I, if I make my bed in the heavens, you're there, for it's down in Sheol, you are there. If you are beside me, you're behind me, you're in front of me, thank you that you see everywhere I go. But also, oh Father, might I be reminded that you see everywhere I go. You, you know every thought that I have. Even before I form that word in the tone that I'm going to form it and say it to the ones that I love that is just going to push down instead of build up that is going to just erode the foundation that is there. Might I be reminded that you know it and you see it. River Ben, you and I are going to go into a uh, world this week where people don't know God. They, they could care less about Him. Some of them might have taken a book like this. Maybe it's a big family Bible that has a coat of dust on it, and they say, all right, I am going through some tough times, and I just want to know if this is real. You and I need to be willing to open our mouths. Show them with our lives, yes, but... How will they hear unless someone tells them? 
might be this week that you have the opportunity to tell a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member, an acquaintance. This past week, we were getting ready for VBS, and uh, somebody, a gentleman by the name of TJ, was uh, at the end of the parking lot. TJ was on a motorcycle, and his motorcycle broke down right here about 540 as everybody was coming in, and somebody asked, uh, I think Jared uh, Barnhill asked me if uh, I had a set of jumper cables that his bike needed to be jumped off, and I said, sure, so I ran out took the truck down there, got the jumper cables, and um, it didn't work. That didn't work. Um, he had everything pieced together with duct tape and electrical tape. It was not the greatest of bikes. It had been rode hard and put up wet, and uh, rain was coming. Um, found out jumper cables wouldn't work. So I was like, do you live around here? TJ said, no, but one of my cousins lives around here. And I was like, all right, get in the truck. I'll take you. So we start going up 51. He's like, yeah, it's just a couple minutes up north. of, uh, And so I start driving, and he's looking, and I'm like, he doesn't have a cousin that lives anywhere close to right here. <laughs> so we kept driving, and I started asking him some questions. He had just come from one of the casinos, and he had lost playing blackjack, everything for that week's salary. Asked him some more questions about his motorcycle. Asked him how fast it went. He said, I've had it at 170. I was like, you are not the smartest person that I know. But I said, you know, if I'm doing 170 in my truck or I'm doing 170 on a motorcycle, more than likely I wreck, I'm going to die. Dad's dead, right? And he said, yeah. So I said, we're... Where are you going when you die? TJ didn't want to talk. We get to the stop sign about this time at Star Landing. Star Landing in 51. He said, just drop me off. <laughs> just drop me off. I, I can walk from here. I was like, I'll take you. I, I promise, I'll take you. He didn't have a cousin that lived at Star Landing. So uh, I finally did drop him off at Southland Mall up in Memphis, and um, he came back later and moved his bike down here, and then he came back later and got his bike. I, I don't believe that TJ understands what Christ really has done in his life because TJ really didn't want to listen that night. Maybe that's where your friends are. But you know what? There's also some friends and some co-workers who will listen if you and I would just speak the glories of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, this message is, um, has been one for our minds to try to understand, to try to grasp, and I, I honestly don't know if I got the point across in that frame. But Father, we don't need to just skip passages that on the surface are hard. Father, you gave them to us for a reason. 
Lord, might we leave here understanding that you see all, that you are in control of all, that you know all. And Father, you are bringing this life that we are living, that we are inhaling and exhaling moment by moment. You are bringing it to an end, whether it is five moments long or whether it is five decades long or as this states, 120 years long. One day we will stand before you. King of kings and Lord of lords. And it will not matter one iota who our sports team was. What type of food, what type of automobile, what type of house, what type of clothes, what type of anything other than what type of savior we were serving. Might that be driven home this morning? And that you are the only one that saves. You know, most of every single one of us here has a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Just to close the story about TJ, it was funny. He's like, uh, what day is it? And I told him it was Sunday. He said, yeah, as we saw people going into First Baptist South Haven and as we saw people going in up in Whitehaven into church. He has a head knowledge of God. He has a head knowledge of possibly even who Christ is. And maybe that's where you are today. You have a head knowledge that something happened, someone lived almost 2,000 years ago, and sure, that scene of the crucifixion and the tomb, but you don't have a heart knowledge. You have not experienced Him. That's what it takes for one to be saved, not just a knowledge about some facts, but an experience, a relationship that has begun as father and child, as savior and as servant, master, servant. If that's not where you are, if you don't have that relationship, the invitation for you, ma'am, the invitation for you, sir, is that you would come. Let me introduce him to you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Not just more facts, but how you can experience a relationship with him. The invitation is for you today. If you do know him, maybe there's a friend and a co-worker, a family member that you need to pray for. You pray that God would use you today, that he would use you this week to draw him closer to you. Let's stand and let's sing.